When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and as always, I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. And we have a very special guest with us today as well, uh, Miss Gina Kelly, the Associate Director of the NFL Team Brands for SB Nation. Miss Gina, thank you so much for being here. We are so pleased to have you with us. Go ahead and tell the people a little bit about your backstory in case they're not familiar. They definitely should be, and if they're not after this, I hope they will be. But go ahead, give them a fill-in. Perfect. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Like you said, I'm the associate director for our NFL team communities at SB Nation, Um, but I started at our Falcon site, the Falcoholic, about 12 years ago, which seems absolutely wild to me at this point. I've really been there for like more than a quarter of my life. Um, And so I've just kind of worked my way up through different jobs at SB Nation until I landed here. I used to be, uh, well, I'm still credentialed with the Falcons, but I used to cover the team as a full-time beat writer. I've been a national NFL writer for SB Nation. So I've gotten to do all kinds of cool things after starting my career in the wedding industry. (laughs) So (laughs) it's, it's been quite a ride. Yeah, that's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. I've been following you for a handful of years now. You've been one of my favorite uh, favorites in this industry for a very long time. So I'm quite literally starstruck uh, listening and getting to talk to you right now. Um, let's go ahead and jump right into the big news of the day. Uh, we picked a pretty good day to record this podcast with the franchise tag deadline and a pretty big trade that went down. Uh, let's lead things off with the huge news. That is Russell Wilson being traded to the Denver Broncos. Gina, what was your reaction to that? Well, my reaction was, um, yeah, obviously Pat McAfee was right, because I think that if Aaron Rodgers had the potential to go to Denver, I don't think that they would have made that trade. But um, I think that it's a good fit. It's kind of fun to see because we've got like a group email chain with all of the site managers from all of SB Nation sites. And, you know, there's been quite a bit of trash talk flying toward field goals, our Seahawks site. Um, uh-huh. and, <laughs> and then, you know, the our Mile High Report, our Broncos site, they're celebrating of course. So, um, you know, I really don't think that the Broncos have had a consistent quarterback since Peyton Manning retired. And so this is huge for them. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this works out for Seattle, what they do at quarterback. I don't think that this is the strongest year to draft somebody. You know, you may be able to get somebody via trade, but, um, you know, are they really going to be, uh, you know, on par with Russell Wilson? And they also have a lot of other issues on that roster that they need to fix. And so, yeah, I am I think that this might not be the best season for the Seahawks. No, I don't think so either. And, you know, as Jet fans, we hold a lot of animosity towards former Jet Jamal Adams, mm-hmm. how he forced his way off our team because things weren't looking great. Then he goes to another team thinking that they're Super Bowl bound, and now they are in rebuilding mode as well. Uh, so from the Jets fan point of view, uh, I feel like we're all just sort of sitting back with our popcorn and kind of enjoying this. As a very petty person, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you had mentioned you spent your time on uh, Falcoholics. Obviously, you're a Falcons fan yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know a thing or two about pettiness and a thing or two about other teams <laughs> getting on and bragging on you from the inside, mm-hmm. from the Seahawks perspective. Um, yes. But yeah, over in Jetsland, um, it's been a lot of jokes. It's been a lot of celebration. Uh, It's been a lot of good feelings overall. We don't get that very often. So when we do get them, uh, we cherish them. I always like to say, God forbid the Jets ever win a Super Bowl will be the most insufferable fan base in the NFL. (laughs) And I fully believe that. Uh, So this is another one of those days. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, I completely understand that. That's very relatable as a Falcons fan. Although it's kind of short-sighted because at the same time, we now have 
Russell Wilson in the AFC. So it's just <laughs> one more uh, godlike quarterback in, in our uh, division that we have to go up against. Yeah, that's really what you guys needed. Exactly. Yeah, well, I'm kind of thinking maybe not so fast because the AFC West is now so talented, maybe it eats itself alive. Mm-hmm. And this could be a situation where the worst quarterback in that division is Derek Carr, and he was a playoff quarterback last year, and he's been an MVP candidate before. Yes. It's really Pretty tough. It, it is tough. Uh, so, yeah, they'll eat, they'll eat each other alive. But at the same time, you still got to go through them if you're going to want to actually play for anything in the postseason. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And they're, they got a defense, too. They still got Pat Sertain there. Uh, they didn't trade Bradley Chubb included with this, which was rumored at first when the news was first leaking. They got to hold on to him, too. There was a Von Miller posted on Instagram about potentially coming back, and which number he'd wear in Denver. Well, maybe he had some inside information about yeah. what they were doing. And maybe now we understand why he wants to go back and play there. Maybe that happens, too. The Broncos chances are definitely looking good. The AFC West is definitely tough. Um, this was the biggest trade in a while. Uh, very rarely do all pro quarterbacks get moved. And when they do, it's always a big deal. Yeah. Uh, let's get into some of the franchise tag players. Cause those are some other big news. Uh, I got the list here of all the guys that got the tag. And that was Dalton Schultz, the tight end for uh, the Cowboys. We had Mike Gusecki, the tight end for the dolphins, Jesse Bates, the Bengals safety, which hurt my heart a lot. I was really hoping he'd shake mm-hmm. free and the jets would go after him. Uh, Chris Godwin, the receiver in Tampa, David Njoku, the tight end uh, in Cleveland, Orlando Brown, the uh, chiefs offensive tackle, Devonte Adams, I believe got the tag at the last minute after Roger Steele uh, got figured out with Aaron Rodgers staying in green Bay. And last but not least, Cam Robinson, the tackle in Jacksonville which of these was the most surprising in your opinion Gina and which of these do you think was the uh, worst idea that's a really good question Um, you know I really don't think that there are any bad tags in that bunch one thing that has stood out to me though is that you know you've got a couple of tight ends in there and that's not traditionally a position that you would think about a team you know multiple teams using a franchise tag on um i'm especially interested in the browns tagging um njoku because yeah. i think that it may mean that they won't re-sign austin hooper and i would mm. love to see austin hooper come back to atlanta and so that's the one that i am most interested in um you know i think that Devonte adams is obviously probably and chris godwin I, the bucks have had so much attrition i mean losing brady they've lost other players um i think that they really had to keep him so i don't think that that one was too surprising yeah i, I don't really think that any of those are terrible um but yeah njoku was the one that was most interesting to me selfishly because i would like to have hooper back yeah, these tight ends, uh, we were kind of hoping that a lot of these guys would probably slip through to free agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, being that for the Jets, uh, it's probably the biggest void of talent on our team right now. I think we have who? Uh, Wesco as, as our, oh no, we have Graham. Graham and Wesco as our most seasoned tight ends going into next season. Uh, so the lack of talent that that's going to make it to free agency is kind of alarming and it sort of means that We need to focus more on the draft to really fill these positions. Uh, But the Godwin uh, tag is probably the one that surprised me the most. Uh, Because why? Why would they even worry about paying him when they now are in rebuild mode, right? They are missing a quarterback. Who, who, Without a quarterback, what what do you have, really? So without Brady there, who's throwing to him? Very good question. And as somebody who likes the team and the NFC South, um, I am hoping that they fill that role with somebody who is much, much worse than Tom Brady, <laughs> which sure. I think is not, not a high bar to clear. I think that I think that that's exactly <laughs> what they will bring in. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we as Jets fans definitely know what it's like to want someone worse than Tom Brady, at the very (laughs) least, uh, to not have to play twice a year. Definitely understand you on that part. Uh, An interesting part for this aspect, related to the tag as well for me, and speaking of the Buccaneers in particular, a name I like for them a lot now is Jordan Love. Because I think he's the perfect type of guy that Bruce Arians could work with, with his history with quarterbacks and what he likes and what he's shown that he can do. And I think that is the, with the weapons that they have in Tampa now, having Chris Godwin back, uh, they still have Cameron Brait. They still have Mike Evans. Um, who's the, I'm forgetting their slot receiver that Brady loved that caught the Hail Mary at halftime. Uh, Scotty Miller, is that his name? Scotty Miller? Is it Humphreys or Miller? 
one of those two. They still have they have weapons. And so they would have targets for Jordan Love if he were to go in. He's had some time to be seasoned. We don't know necessarily how good he would be as a starter. But I think if there's any coach that could work with him and improve him, it could be Bruce Arians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that Green Bay probably will trade Love. Um, Kurt Benkert's on the uh, he's on the depth chart behind him. He's had a full, you know, two offs. Well, he's going into a second offseason in the scheme. I think, you know, from all accounts it seems like he settled in really well he's a seasoned backup he spent a number of years in Atlanta so I think that it's a pretty easy decision for them to move on from love after they've you know given him a chance to develop behind Rodgers and they should be able to get a decent haul for him yeah I think now more than ever quite honestly because Mm -hmm. I think if there if there was ever a time to move him you should do it now before the fifth year option comes up because yeah. otherwise teams are going to want that option included. So they have this year as the trial run. And then at the mm-hmm. end of this year, they can decide if they want to pick up that option or not. If you wait too long, then you're, what you're going to get back from a trade asset value is going to go way down. So I really think now is the time. If they're going to do it at all, this is when you do it. Otherwise, then you're keeping Jordan Love until Rodgers retires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which doesn't really make much sense. Because no. he's just going to waste away on that bench. And they can finally you know, move on. And, and the, 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 the whole Rogers uh, controversy is over. They have him so they can sort of settle in and, and maybe get some return for him. And for the Buccaneers, I know for, uh, for the Buccaneers, uh, for the Buccaneers. Yes. Uh, I think we can confirm uh, he is worse than Brady. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that yes, can, for me. I can confirm. My quarterback evaluations are usually awful, <laughs> but I can say with certainty that Jordan Love is worse than Tom Brady. I don't have to worry about old takes exposed <laughs> for that one at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, not whatsoever. All right, let's get into the last little bit of big news over the last couple of days. Uh, I'm sure as a Falcons fan, Gina, you've enjoyed these big trades kind of stealing the spotlight, but that has been Calvin Ridley uh, and his situation with his suspension. Uh, I want to be very clear uh, and echo and lockstep with what you said in your fantastic article about Calvin Ridley and his mental health for anyone who hasn't read that. I highly recommend you read that. It has a great perspective on just mental health in general and how it really needs to be treated and as a in general topic. But on top of that, Calvin Ridley in this situation in particular and separating what is football and what is his own personal situation. So you had said it yourself, and I'm going to echo your own words and that we can separate Calvin Ridley's mental health from this situation. And yes that they are not one in the same and that we can respect Calvin Ridley's mental health as we should and mm-hmm. also address this situation for what it is. I don't think yeah. anyone go ahead by all means. You know, I was just going to say, and I, I think that it's very fair to criticize Calvin Ridley for this. It was a very bad decision. Um, yes. The punishment is very harsh, but yeah. it's because they, the league does have to protect the integrity of the game. Um, I have a, a very, long explainer coming on this whole situation tomorrow on the Falcoholic at 8 a.m. Just because there are a lot of unanswered questions for me about, you know, the league issuing a season long suspension for a guy betting $1,500 on three parlays over the course of five days. And then, you know, they're making like $270 million off of their sports betting. So exactly. I dig into that a little bit um, in an article that'll drop tomorrow at eight, but you know, it's just a really unfortunate situation all around. Yeah. And it's not like he's denying it. I think Mm -hmm. he's more acting out in defiance of it. Uh, So it's not exactly like he's very sorry about it. Uh, Now about the the punishment, I think it's a little too much. Uh, While I understand uh, there's, essence of the black socks in the air yes. uh but at the same time and pete rose but at the same time it's it's a lot compared to a lot of other things that the league is very lenient on especially yeah. like domestic violence yes. so yeah th- this That's- punishment compare in comparison is just a little out of whack yeah, I, I actually get into the into that specifically in the piece that I wrote for tomorrow. You know, I think that it was 2016. The league said that they were going to set the baseline suspension for a first offense of the personal conduct policy that involved, you know, vi- any kind of violence, um, domestic violence, any kind of violence. And they've really never enforced it. Um, you know, they no. suspended Ezekiel Elliott for more than that. 
uh, just out of nowhere, um, even though it was something that had happened when he was in college. And then you had guys like um, Josh Brown from the Giants who had, you know, a long documented history of basically terrorizing his wife. And he initially got two games before the Giants were shamed into, you know, <laughs> doing the him. right thing. Yeah, finally. Yeah, that's that's the thing for me is. I don't think anyone is arguing that what Calvin Ridley did is wrong and not something that should be allowed or praised or celebrated or anything close to it. But I think what people are asking for is consistency. They're asking for things to be on an equal playing field. And so that everyone understands, like you're saying, Josh Brown being a full-blown criminal is Mm -hmm. a lot different than Calvin Ridley betting $1,500 on a parlay. Neither of them should be allowed and neither of them should be you know, addressed with no suspension or anything else whatsoever. But that doesn't mean that one isn't significantly worse than the other. And when it's so much easier for the NFL to hand out these smaller suspensions for much more serious issues than Mm -hmm. things like gambling or even things like marijuana testing, where you have marijuana being legal, either medically or federally in more than half of the states in the country right now. And you'll have players like Josh Gordon be indefinitely suspended after repeated missed tests. Now, Mm -hmm. am I saying that Josh Gordon shouldn't have missed and failed a bunch of tests in a row? No, but I would much rather deal with Josh Gordon and a drug issue that is a medical issue than someone like Josh Brown being a serial abuser. And only giving that a two-game suspension is just asinine to me. You have Kareem Hunt still playing in in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, and no one seems to care. No, not at all. And I, you know, I think that the way that I look at this Ridley situation specifically, you know, on one hand, it is historic. This is the first time a player has ever been suspended for this since the NFL did sign these, you know, multi-million dollar um, partnerships with all of these sports books and um, sports betting partners. And on top of that, he's only the fifth NFL player in history to ever get caught doing this. So like, it is a historic thing, but in my mind, and I mean, I think that you could make an argument that Maybe, you know, his team was harmed by this because now he's going to be suspended for the whole season. But realistically, like Calvin Ridley is the person who was harmed most by his choice. here, And the Mm -hmm. other issues that we're talking about, there is somebody else who actually experienced harm because of those issues. And so, yeah, I just think that it's a discrepancy that I really have a lot of questions about. I think there's a little bit of backstory here to this punishment that the NFL is doled out that you have the, the issue in Miami where mm-hmm. you have owners being accused of throwing seasons to get draft picks. So there's already offering bounties of, for losses. Or, or at that. Yeah. So there's, there's already an air of, of uh, unfairness in the league or of rigging. Yeah. So, and then you also have, the the entrance of sports books being introduced to the league so i feel like they want to look above board above uh, anything else right now mm-hmm. and this is more of a tone setter more of a look we want this league to look fair in all aspects just look at this punishment mm-hmm And I think that a lot of the punishments that the league doles out in high profile cases are to some extent performative for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, And that's the PR side of it. And that's always going to be how the PR side of the NFL works. Um, And I think part of why Roger Goodell gets paid so much is because he takes the bullets for the owners and handles the PR side. And when people are upset about how things are handled in the NFL, he's the one taking the blame for it and not the 32 people sitting in the high roll seats with billions of dollars in their pockets. Um, So what's going to be the real interesting thing for me, and I think the timing of this is really, really, I don't even know the word, quite honestly, to describe it because I don't want to say good because it's not a good situation, but I think it will be interesting to see how the NFL stands on Friday. It's reported just recently that a grand jury is going to be given evidence in the Deshaun Watson case. Oh my goodness. I and missed so, that today. Yeah. That <laughs> just broke recent, like less than an hour ago. Oh that, my goodness. Yes. So my thought Again, not having much of a criminal, you know, justice history, but knowing enough of how the system works to understand things, they don't do that unless they have evidence. They're yeah, not going mean, to waste the time. 
They're not going to summon a grand jury and waste the time clearing people for a grand jury unless they have evidence to show. So if criminal charges are brought against Deshaun Watson and he isn't indefinitely suspended by the NFL, there's going to be serious questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's what I'm waiting to see. So we will see what happens with this grand jury. We will see what happens after that. But I don't think, especially with Calvin Ridley, and not that this should matter, but just speaking on the NFL and being rigged, I don't think the profile or the caliber of the player should have anything to do with the length of the suspension. It shouldn't matter if you are a quality player or not. Calvin Ridley was a great player for the Falcons, and he should be facing a suspension for what he did. We all just all agree that it should not be to this length if you are not going to suspend much more serious issues for if not the same length, if not significantly longer. Right. Agreed. And not to sound too callous, but I don't think the Jets will be trading for Ridley anytime soon. Uh, I know he was definitely on the minds of, of a few Jets fans uh, for a while now uh, with, the, uh, with word of him being on the trade market. Uh, so we don't, that's another wide receiver off the market for the Jets going forward. Yeah. Another wide receiver off the market in general. Um, I think this is a good place to end Gina because both teams now, I think, uh, our Jets and your Falcons could potentially be in the wide receiver market. So at eighth overall, first question would be, do you think that's a possibility for the Falcons? And if so, if you are interested in a wide receiver, who's your favorite so far, the draft prospects, if you've gotten into them. Um, so I have not gotten the draft prospects yet, or, or I'm just starting to, um, I do think that wide receiver is a possibility now. Um, yeah. I do not, I did not feel that way before Ridley suspension, um, necessarily, but I think that, I mean, just looking cause they're, they could lose Russell Gage to free agency, um, who's really been like a security blanket for Matt Ryan. Uh, they just, I mean, Kyle Pitts is phenomenal, but he cannot be the entire offense. No. Um, and so I am a little bit of a homer about the draft. And so I would take any like Ohio State receivers. <laughs> you you really Chris can't go Alana. wrong there. Yeah. No, no Chris Olave is my dude. And he's been my dude for a long time now. I'm, I said a little bit before the combine uh, in our group chat that Matt and I have uh, talking about the draft that. I was really looking for the Jets to skip on wide receiver in free agency and in the first round because they could take Chris Olave at 34. And then he mm-hmm. ran an unofficial 426 like an hour <laughs> after I said that. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, never mind. Um, yeah, he's not lasting till 34. N- nothing ruins draft plans pre draft, uh, pre combine than the combine. Yeah, exactly. Gina, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time uh, getting the chance to talk to us. Uh, This awesome day of news that we had to cover. I'm so happy, quite honestly, that we picked this time to record because we had so much to talk about and such uh, big topics to get into. Thank you so much again for being here. Go ahead and let the people know where they can find you and follow your work because it's all fantastic and everyone should definitely be checking it out. Absolutely. And thank you both so much for having me. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Gina Thomas, uh, J-E-A-N-N-A Thomas. And I don't get to write as much as I used to um, just because I'm in more of an editorial role now. But um, when I do, it's typically at the Falcoholic. Like I said, I've got a real banger drop in tomorrow at 8 Um, (laughs) a.m. So that's also fun. And then uh, check me out on the Falcoholic podcast. I'm the co-host over there with uh, with my friend David Walker. And we have a lot of very, very sad podcasts during the season. Um, we have a little bit more fun in the off season when the Falcons can't actually hurt us. So, well, I mean, maybe they can a little bit. <laughs> this has been actually a terrible <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds like our show. Uh, yeah. That's definitely how our show went. We were, I remember in the summer we had done our, our preview for our record predictions and went through the whole record and we're like, yeah, nine and seven is totally reasonable. Nine <laughs> and eight. They'll be, they'll be right on the fringe of the wild card. They don't have to make the playoffs this year, but if they do, it's cool. And yeah. And then yeah. I remember uh post week two after four interceptions from Zach Wilson against the Patriots and the sky was falling immediately. And people were saying we should trade Zach for Russell Wilson. Those were, those were times. Yeah, those were definitely those times. Were certainly times. <laughs> if we're anything, we're optimists. <laughs> You've got to be, because otherwise we wouldn't be doing this every Sunday. Exactly. We, we, <laughs> no, no. Being a Jets fan is, and I'm sure being a Falcons fan at many, many times uh, is very masochistic in a lot of ways. And you just, once you understand that and compartmentalize that and accept it, you're a lot more comfortable with yourself. That's- 
That's very true. And sure. yesterday, I'm going to leave you two with this. Yesterday, Dave Choate, who is the um, editor-in-chief of the Falcoholic, tweeted from the Falcoholic account that being a Falcons fan is like reading a, um, a make-your-own-adventure book, or I can't remember what they were called. Um, a choose-your-own-adventure book? Choose-your-own-adventure book, but all the pages are on fire. And I think that that <laughs> is a very accurate description. <laughs> I can relate. Uh, that about sums it up. Yep. Yeah, yes. that about sums it up. Thank you again so much, Gina. This has been so Thank much you. fun. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great night. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Matt, that was so fun. I'm so glad yeah. we got the opportunity to talk <laughs> with her. Uh, dream come true for me personally. I've been following Gina for years and years and years now. She is one of my biggest idols in this industry, and I'm shaking <laughs> right now after getting the chance to talk with her in person. That was That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> That's wonderful. I don't even think we really even need to jump back in and do com- do we? Should we? Uh, yeah, we got a little time. Right, we, can, do it. we can we yeah. can get into it. Might as well. Let's uh, cover everything all in one go. You know, let's round this off here and finish off. Uh, get re- getting back to the draft as Matt and I like to do once it gets into this season. The combine did happen, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week. So unfortunately, we had to skip some recording due to some scheduling opportunities. So we gave our uh, overall preview of what we were looking for and what positions and what drills and what really mattered and what really didn't. And we had some guys put out some amazing numbers. Uh, first off, the entire Holy universe. University of yeah. Georgia. The entire um, team. Yeah, the, the whole team, every single one of them had a great combine. There was not <laughs> anyone that had a disappointing combine whatsoever. Uh, none more so than Jordan Davis, uh, the nose tackle. Oh, I'm, God, I said yeah. this on my other show on Believe in Jets with Lamont Jordan. It's the most impressive combine I've ever seen. Now, here's the thing. like The numbers are shocking, but at the same time, before the draft, we were all we can talk about is these big guys and how they can move and how they shouldn't be able to move like that. So really all the combine did was just confirm what we already knew, but even still, even with that known, it's still shocking just to see it. Yeah. I, I agree that for a lot of these guys, it was just reaffirming what I already thought none more so than Jermaine Johnson uh, as an edge rusher and his speed and his 10 yard split, uh, his height, weight, his, fluidity and drills bench press everything for him was great but like you're saying was just kind of reaffirming everything that i already knew i did not know jordan davis was that athletic i knew he was athletic for his size i didn't know he was the number one graded defensive tackle in ras history and the number two player overall it's, that i didn't it's know pretty insane yeah. uh, <laughs> just watching a move even in the the Oh, I forgot the name of the drill. Oh, the yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, where he's, he gets up from lying on his back and he's yep. like dropping in coverage and shifting around and he's shuffling like it's no problem. He's carrying 6'6", 341, and he's firing he's off the ball. Lying. It's uh, it's a sight. Uh, but it's a sight that maybe should worry Jets fans because now you got guys like this, interior defensive line guys that are moving like they shouldn't. And you've got J.D., and you got Sala, who love these guys in the trenches, who are also seeing these guys move like they shouldn't be moving. And maybe they're getting a little itchy with their, their draft fingers and maybe want to draft one of these guys early. Listen, hear me out, okay? We said a while ago Jordan Davis' 10th overall was a potential worst-case scenario. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot more likely now than it was then. And I still don't think it's that likely, but I do think it's more likely. But I want to throw something out at you for Jordan Davis in particular, assuming Mm -hmm. no trades or anything else involved, just however it works out with their two first round picks that they currently have, assuming they keep both of them and whether they move up or down on the board one way or the other is irrelevant. With one of their picks, they take Jermaine Johnson. Mm -hmm. If they take Jordan Davis with their other pick, and they have him lose another 15 to 20 pounds and let him play at 325. Mm-hmm. What is he going to look like? Because I think we could be looking at 66 Warren Sapp. Uh, that, that's a scary uh, picture. If, if he's able to do this at his weight right now, what can he do if he loses that weight? Right. He, he lost weight for the combine. He said that he played between 250 and 260 at Georgia, and he got down to 340 or two, 350 oh, and 360. Yeah. Excuse me, not 250. Um, and he got down to 341 for the combine. Well, cut another 15 pounds off of that. He's 325. 
I'd be yeah. fine with him at maybe 330 even. I think that's going to be where he plays in the NFL. And I think for a guy like Robert Sala, that's going to want somebody that can penetrate and can be a gap eater and can also play the run and have Quinn and Williams be a guy that can be an interchangeable piece. Um, I think Jordan Davis is better pass rusher than Foley. Oh, and I like, absolutely. If, and I think if he drops another 15 pounds, he could be even better. And so I'm starting to come around to the idea. Is it my preferred thing? No. Let me come right out being clear and say that I am not hoping that this happens. But like you're saying, maybe Sala and JD with the lineman trenches in their blood, get this, this gets their juices flowing and they go, oh my God, we got to get this guy. We know they've clearly valued dudes with good RAS because they took Jonathan Marshall as their last pick last year, yeah. who was another defensive tackle with a huge RAS number. So if they fall in love with this dude and if they take him and if that's their plan to have him slim down a little bit even more and just be this destructive force in the middle of the defense and they have Jermaine Johnson on the other end and they have Carl Lawson and they may be at a safety and free agency, then I think I could get behind it. It wouldn't be my first choice, but I would not be upset. It, you know, the sound that, that uh, Charlie Brown makes when he misses the, the football and goes flying uh -huh. in the air, uh, that, that will be a, a collective noise made in the New York metropolitan area. Uh, if we do that, but at the same time, I, uh, I am with you this, like those two together with Lawson and Q and, uh, Rankins and J and, uh, JFM and JFM. Yeah. There's your six deep right there. It, it's, and it, Bryce it, it'll Huff make you drool a little bit and yeah. And, and Huff just for, as a cherry on top, uh, it's, it's a group that can do a lot of damage. Although at the same time, we thought that last uh, last year's group and then injuries took hold of him. And then yeah. it slowly dwindled away to not something we should be excited about. So I, we definitely need to address this because right now, what is our depth on the interior? Who are our three down guys? Uh, we have Q. We're going to have Carl Lawson. And I think... I think JFM is a three down guy, even if it may not be always at the same position. Yeah. Even if he starts on the edge and moves inside, I think he will play on all three downs. Agreed. So but we still it. need at least one more. So yeah. Jordan Davis can most definitely be that guy. Uh, if we do Jermaine Johnson, I think he can eventually be uh, that kind of guy. Uh, maybe not to start. And I don't think he needs to be that guy to start, especially at edge where Saul is definitely going to rotate guys in and out. Uh, but yeah, we need more three down guys because if yeah. injuries happen, we need more guys to be able to step up and not having guys that can be there. All three downs, uh, really hinders our ability to do what we need to do on defense. Yeah. And I honestly kind of have a hard time seeing at this point that the jets are going to resign Fadakasi just because I think this is such a deep defensive line group and they know that. Yeah. And so they're saying, why would we pay him all of this money? Not that he's a bad player and not that he wouldn't, you know, be willing for another team to, to, to earn it. But we, as the jets can take somebody else, reset the clock, save that money for another position. I, if it's between resigning Vodacasi or Barrios, I'd rather resign Barrios. Oh, absolutely. And at the same time, as much as we love Foley, I, don't, I, I believe we even said before the season that Foley wasn't really the best fit for this defense. He's no. more of a, a gap stuffer than yeah. a gap penetrator. So he was really just a rundown guy who every now and then provided some upside as a pass rusher. But that's not exactly the guy that we feel really fits this defense. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think so either. I also think if you look back at the history of the uh, San Fran defense when Sala was running it specifically, they didn't want a traditional nose tackle all that often. They had yeah. they would have a, a three tech and a two I or th two three techs very, very frequently where they don't really worry so much about having a guy dead center in the middle of their defense. They really want guys that can penetrate and attack. So I think that's where if you're Jordan Davis and you get down to 325 or 330 and you line him up at a two I next to Quinn and Williams and you have Carl Lawson on the other side of him and Jermaine Johnson on the other side of Quinnen. I don't know who's blocking that. I, I, I don't, don't either. I, I quite honestly, I don't know what team's offensive line is blocking that because I think you have legitimately 
four guys that could be pro bowlers and if not better, quite honestly, it would be a wildly talented group. Yeah, it really would. It absolutely would. Uh, let's get to some of the offensive guys, Matt, who is the most impressive offensive guy for you with the combine? I'm going to go with uh, North Dakota state wide receiver, Christian Watson. That's where uh, I thought you'd go. He clocked in at what was it? Uh, it was like a, a four three six, I believe. I think was. it was a four three six. A four three six, uh, which is insane because he's six four two oh eight. That's uh, uh, amazing. That's elite speed right there for that size. Yeah. Uh, and it shows in his tape. There's there's guys that you see run yes, fast. Yes, it does. And it doesn't translate when you actually see him on tape, uh, like Mims, uh, uh, or even this year, I would say, uh, the wide receiver from Cincinnati, uh, Pierce, uh, he ran a pretty, uh, spectacular 40 as well, but I, uh, watching his tape, I did not see that speed. Uh, but Watson, you see, it. you see that explosion, uh, in his release, you see that, ex- that speed out of his brakes, his ability to accelerate and gain separation uh, or just downfield, just outrunning defenders. Uh, be it, he was going up against the lesser competition than some other wide receivers. But at the same time, it, the, the speed is undeniable. You see it in the games, and now you saw it at the combine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he has made a huge jump up my receiver rankings. I, I was thinking about it in my head the other day. Um, where I've had these guys after the combine and I'm really trying hard not to let too much of the combine influence this. Um, But Christian Watson in particular, just looking at his numbers, when you look at his ascension, and we've talked about that before with guys like Jermaine Johnson, where once we see the ascension of once they get into the process and they rise, do they continue to rise? Once they gain hype, do they get better? Do they go out and continue to perform or do they start to falter? And Christian Watson, since the senior bowl has been dominating this draft process, absolutely dominating this draft process entirely. So if you're worried about the competition concerns, well, he killed the senior bowl went against the best of the best that he could go against feasibly. There's nothing more that he can do to prove that he can play against top competition outside of playing in the NFL itself, other than going to the senior bowl when he carved dudes up. So check number one off the box there. Then you go to the combine. He's six, four, he's two Oh eight. He runs four, three, six. He jumps 33, 38 and a half inches in the vertical and broad jumps 11, three. Okay. That's another box ticked right off. He looked good in the drills. He looked really good in the uh, gauntlet drill. He's, He's a guy with a lot of talent. And the thing about him from his tape that I really, really like that fascinates me kind of more so than maybe any other receiver in this class, quite honestly, is that North Dakota State uses him every way they can. He's not just the guy that they scheme touches for. He does that. There's plenty of times where he'll be the guy they give an end around to, even though he's their six, four X receiver, he gets the one getting the end around because he's that fast and that good with the ball in his hands, but they use him on intermediate routes. They use him on deep routes. They use him on sideline routes. He's quick at his breaks inside, outside. He's a really, really good comeback route where he can sink his hips really low again for being six, four and having that explosion to be have the agility as well. He does everything. Everything you, you you would or anything you could ask of him. He does it and he shows it on tape that he can do it. And now he goes to the senior bowl and he plays really, really well. And then he goes to the combine and he blows the doors off the combine. I'm having a really hard time making, keeping him out of my top. He's definitely one of my five best receivers in this class. I'm having a hard time keeping him out of the top three. I am as well. I, I posed the question today on, on Twitter. If Drake London and Watson switch teams, who would be considered more of a first round prospect, Watson or London? And I would dare to say that Watson would be already considered top three wide receiver over London. Um, Assuming that their statistics are similar and let me pull up Christian Watson's statistics. But I think if he had the press and the national attention of being a um, USC receiver on an offense that's not as run heavy as North Dakota State is, which I think is another crucial factor of this, mm-hmm. where if he was at pass-happy USC, I think he's a Heisman candidate. 
I yeah, I, I agree. I I think it's through the roof what he could have done. Uh, and yeah, like you said, uh, North Dakota State's more run heavy. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. And he, he only and had 800 yards last year receiving, but that's only because he had 43 catches because North Dakota State doesn't throw the ball as much. Mm-hmm. But you're averaging nearly 20 yards a catch. You had seven touchdowns on 43 grabs. That's not a bad percentage. That's like what eight percent of your catches are touchdowns. Yeah. That's not bad at all. It's not bad so, at all. No. So I'm I, I'm on board with you there uh, 100%. I think Christian Watson is definitely ascending through this draft process. When I just think of the guys that I would pound the table for at the wide receiver position so far that I've seen, it's Christian Watson, it's Chris Olave, and it's Romeo Dubs. And I'm not saying those are my top three because they're probably not. I think Garrett Wilson is still one. I think Olave is two. And Watson, if he's not three, he's four. It's him or Burks, but I'm those are the guys that I really have a good feeling about. That regardless yeah. of my rankings, those are mm-hmm. those are the dudes I really, really look look at. And I really think that uh, for a while, the idea of Christian Watson being there in the second round was nice. I don't think that's gonna happen anymore, but I'd entertain the idea of trading up for him with our two seconds. Yeah, I, I would think about it as well. Speaking of Burks, he did not really do that well at the combine. No. Uh, he he came in at what six two, six two two twenty five, which is which is what I was expecting size wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, ran a four five five. Uh, three cone was probably the most troubling. Uh, yeah. The seven two eight. Yeah. Uh, and the vertical was only thirty three. So it's mm-hmm. there. There were some red flags there uh, all around. It was just. Eh. And when you're amongst some of these other guys like Alave and Wilson, uh, Dotson and and uh, and 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 uh, Watkins, you, you've got talent there that you need to really step up and show that you can you belong in that group. And I don't think he did that. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, we had been talking off air in our group chat where I had said um, with. Burke specifically, a lot of people are, were thinking that there's a DK Metcalf comparison there, and I don't see that at all because I don't think that Burks is nearly the caliber of athlete DK Metcalf was, and I think the testing numbers prove that. Yeah. DK Metcalf's three-cone wasn't that great, but he ran 4-3-4. His vertical, I think, was like 41 inches. The, you just take a look at him with how he looks with his shirt off and his imposing frame. You can see the type of athlete that he is. I'm pretty sure he benched like 24 reps. DK Metcalf had a dominant combine outside of his three cone numbers. And my whole point with DK Metcalf was he doesn't need those three cones because he's so physically dominant. He can run five routes and win anyway. And I don't think Traylon Burks is that guy. I think Traylon Burks is a really good player with the ball in his hands and moving at four or five at two twenty five and six, two is fast. That's not slow for his size. We got to remember that he is a bigger receiver but I don't think he is as dominantly athletic enough to win off that alone. And I think that's where the separation between him and Metcalf is for me specifically. And talking about him and Watson, I think Watson is that dominantly athletic. I think he's proven that he can be that dominantly athletic. And I think that like you're saying, if, if Christian Watson was at USC instead of Drake London, how would that look? Well, if Christian Watson was in Arkansas's offense and he got to do all the stuff Traylon Burst does, yeah. how would that look too? How would that look? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, there's there's so much projection that you got to do here. And also you just got to add context to everything to really get a full picture of everyone. And yeah. not only that, you need to just look at your own needs and how your own team really uh, projects their position, positional value, how we use our wide receivers. We're talking about how Watkins is used for everything, right? Yeah. I uh, that so that sounds like Lafleur's wheelhouse right there. He likes guys that are uh, functional in other ways than, than than just one. He doesn't really want yeah. the one trick. Gives him options as a play caller. Exactly. With guys like Moore and and Davis, uh, I think he would fit right in and be able and make the other guys more dynamic with him just being on the field and we know he can block we know he can block yeah you can't come from that offense and not know how to block uh-huh yeah i really like the the fit let alone really liking him as a player i really like the fit overall um just in general um i'm gonna finish off here the one guy that i that i had after christian watson because he probably was my big offensive winner too um and i don't think the jets are going to draft him because i think he's going to go too high 
but hats freaking off to Kenneth Walker for coming in as the quote unquote power back when everyone was expecting him to be the, the bigger dude. And he comes out and runs a four, three, nine at 211 pounds. So he's probably going to put on another five pounds for the NFL. He played at about 215, 217 at Michigan State. And he's probably going to run between 4-4 and 4-4-5 at 215-5-9. With his contact balance, with his feet, with his vision, with his explosion, and his proven breakaway speed, I, I thought this was a great performance from Kenneth Walker. And I just – he cemented himself as my RB1 just because I think he is the most total package of running back in this class. We haven't talked a lot about the top running backs because we don't think the Jets are going to invest a pick highly enough to do it. It's just like last year when we didn't talk about Michael Carter because we said through the whole draft process, he's going to go too high for the Jets to take him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, well, I think maybe we should start talking about these dudes because in the event that they fall, I think a Kenneth Walker, if he gets to the top of the third round, and the Jets have already got their tight end, and maybe they've added a receiver in another way, and they seem set in some other positions, he might be the best player on the board. And I would not be surprised if he gets picked in that spot if he's available there. So I want to highlight Kenneth Walker in particular. He had an awesome combine. I love his tape. And if he ends up on the Jets, I'm going to love it. I just don't think it's possible. But I didn't think Michael Carter was possible either. So who knows? It's true. Uh, it's... I don't know. Running back, it's kind of it's nobody's going to really say that running back is that position that we really need to focus on because we like no, you said, we already have Carter. It is a need. Uh, we need that power back. We need that guy specifically. That, yes, specifically that can be that short yardage guy that that can get those tough yards because I don't really want Carter to do that. If we bring back Coleman, I don't want Coleman to do that. Uh, maybe. Uh, somebody else steps up, but at this moment, I don't think we have that person on our team right now. I think a mid-round guy like Kenneth Walker, possibly. Actually, where do you see Kenneth Walker actually going? Uh, at, like at the end of the day, where do you think he ends up? At best, top of the second. At worst, top of the third. I see, think if Devontae uh, Williams can go thirty-five, I think Kenneth Walker can go at the top of the uh, the top of the second round. I, as much as I would love him, I think that's just too high. It's a little too. Rich I think so too. Right. right. I think now. it's unrealistic. Again, I agree. Don't get me wrong. I don't. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying. I do not think that that I think it is going to be too rich for the Jets to take a running back, and that it would be too good for them to take, even if he was there in the third round. Mm -hmm. But I also didn't think Michael Carter had any exactly. chance in hell of falling to 104. So I'm. Um, if all yeah. of a sudden the fourth round or fifth round swings around and there's Kenneth Walker, uh, things start to change. That, that my, my tune changes right away. I, I, right. I've been mocking running backs in the fourth round. So it, I don't think it's, uh, it's outlandish to think that he can land there. No, I, I, he's definitely the kind of guy I, I'm looking for, either him or Robinson uh, or yeah. Pierce from Florida. Or Algier from BYU. There's a lot of guys here. Uh, with power and uh, also function as, as receivers as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Algier in particular, um, I've talked oh, yeah. about him a lot before, but uh, he didn't, he ran a little lower than I was hoping. He ran about a four, six flat, which is, and no one was expecting him to be a burner, but I was hoping for him to at least get close to the four five, five range, but his, he's so smooth and he's, so quick in his ability to get up to that speed really quickly and keep that speed that I think he'll still be effective. And he's such a good receiver. Like he is. His, he's such a good receiver. It's so natural for him. I'm, I'm he's the guy that I would want as the backup. If I were sitting there going, who do I want with the fourth round pick at running back? That's going to fill in. I want Tyler Algier. If I could pick anybody, but if the scenario happens that I think is unrealistic, that, Kenneth Walker is there at the top of the fourth round. I'm sprinting the card in because oh, yeah, I think, absolutely. I think in terms of like Kenneth Walker is probably going to end up in my top 50 players. I would almost guarantee it. And so getting a top 50 player in the top of the fourth round, the value is just way too good there. Yeah, and this, this draft isn't really, it, it, it's, it's top heavy at the very top with like the elite talent, but then there's a nice wave of, very solid blue chip guys that really goes into the fourth, a third or fourth round. I could see happening. So it's not crazy to think yeah. that that blue chip guy that falls might be, might be Walker. Yeah. 
this is kind of an impromptu topic that I kind of want to end on real quick. And I said we were going to end on running backs, but I just thought of this and I think it's a good way to view it. Um, we kind of have a little differing viewpoints a little bit. I want to talk about it mm-hmm. where you're perfectly comfortable trading into the middle of the first round and yes. like the 16, 17, all the way up to maybe even 20 range. All for it. I don't want to get out of the top 10 because I think exactly what you're saying is the elite players are the elite players and the difference between sauce Gardner at corner and the cornerback two is bigger than the cornerback two and the cornerback three. And I agree. Yeah. So, and I also think for some other positions, it's similar like that as well, where um, looking at uh, offensive tackle, you mm-hmm. have, we've said for a while, we have the top four or the top, the top three, really, where it's Neil Cross and Iquanu, uh, in no particular order. Don't take that for what it is. That's just of the three of them. Um, after that, I'm not too sold on Trevor Penning. I'm not the no. biggest Bernard Ryman fan. I think he's got potential, but I'm not mm-hmm. 100% sold on it. You know, there's a gap in talent. I think exactly what you just said, which is you have the elite prospects within the top 10, And then I think you have a gap of talent to where the guys that you're going to get at 15 or 16 or 17 are not that much better than the guys you're going to be getting at 34, 35 or 36. So unless you are acquiring a bunch of picks in the top 40, I would much rather trade down. Like for instance, with Seattle who now needs a quarterback, if then will likely have the ninth pick in the draft after the trade with Denver, I would much rather package a deal potentially maybe with DK Metcalf, as we were talking about him earlier with the ninth overall pick and DK Metcalf for the fourth overall pick than I would potentially to trade back from 10 to maybe 17, because I really think that the, the, with the jets having two top 10 picks and the ability to get two elite players in this class, no other team in this draft can do that. No other team in this draft has that type of ammo. And I think you have to capitalize on that. You can't just give that up that easily because I really do think there's a gap after the elite players and then the middle of the class and the depth of the middle of the class goes on for so long that, like I said, unless you're stacking up mid-round picks, I don't know if I'd be for it. I think I'd rather try and stay in the top 10. So here's the thing. It is very top-heavy, but at the same time, it's I think it's very top-heavy, meaning inside the top 10. So I think at 10, we're kind of in another no man's land where a lot of the elite talent might already be gone. And now we're already starting to think about guys that could also be going in the mid round and mid first round. Uh, maybe we go after a guy like Dean instead. Uh, well, probably not because it doesn't sound, sound like himself solid. said, I will never take a linebacker in the first round, but unless it's Tremaine Edmonds, who is six, five, two forty five, uh, and ran like four five flat, who was getting Brian Urlacher comps. And yeah. Salah specifically talked about the amount of space he can take away in the middle of the defense for what it's worth. Fred Warner's six, three. Mm. So, uh, height matters for Robert Salah specifically. I don't think it matters as much for Jeff Ulbrich. And I think we Jeff Ulbrich will, as we've seen, will have Deion Jones play at 6'1, 220 and be fine. He'll have six foot 220 Eric Kendricks play in Minnesota um, and play at UCLA before that. So I don't think it's a big of a deal for Jeff Ulbrich, but I think Robert Sala is the head guy making decisions, value size and his inside linebackers. And as good as Nicobe Dean is, don't get me wrong, I love him and I'd be all for it if the Jets were to sign him or draft him. It's just like JOK the year before where now mm-hmm. I realize why they didn't take JOK apart from the medicals is because he wasn't big enough for Mike and they weren't going to take an off ball linebacker that high. Cause they think they can coach guys up. Yeah. Well here, let me give you a scenario. Let's say the first, let's say seven picks are Hutch, uh, Thibodeau, uh, Icam, Neil, Hamilton, sauce cross. Uh, that, that's about seven, right? So, if those guys are gone, who's this elite talent that's left? Assuming we move back from four. Let's say we even stayed at nine four. and ten. Okay. So if you stay at we, four. We, we took one of those guys. So now who's that elite talent that you're taking at 10? If all those guys are even gone Jermaine before Johnson eight. falls to 10. Okay. Well, maybe. So let's say he goes eight. <laughs> now, 
and then maybe a quarterback at nine. So now, so I take the best thinking, receiver. I take the best receiver on the board, which means this, uh, they'll okay. likely be the pick of the litter. Which means Garrett Wilson probably fell to there. Probably uh, either be Garrett Wilson. Uh, I like the idea of Garrett Wilson at ten a hell of a lot better than Garrett Wilson at four. Oh, absolutely. And then maybe Walker, but now I, that, then you're sort of going into projection mode with guys that have elite potential. I could get also, behind Trevon Walker at 10 if we got I, I, sauce. Oh, at no, four. I can most definitely get behind it. But at the same time, I, I well, all right. I, I guess I didn't really pick a guy for us at four. So that scenario is that's, a little that's out of whack. kind of the deciding factor. So that's kind of where I'm saying is it's like at, if you move back to nine and you know four is a quarterback. So mm-hmm. that factors into it. And I also have to think that three of the first six picks are going to be offensive tackles. At least two of them. At least two. I would say at three, least probably. two, probably three. So if one of those is a quarterback at four and three of those are offensive tackles out of the first six picks, you have two other guys that could be picked Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. That gets you to sixth overall. Sauce Gardner still on the board. Every receiver still on the board. You have uh, multiple edge options. I'm Jordan Davis. <laughs> Jordan Davis, and I think the Falcons are taking a receiver at eight. So, and then at ninth overall, the Jets will pick nine. They'll have nine and ten, and you could be in a scenario where you take Jermaine Johnson at nine and Garrett Wilson at ten. I I'm fine with that. That seems like a pairing we could take at four. So. I'm I don't again, nothing has happened yet. And we're going on pure speculation here. But I for me didn't even get into free agency yet. Yeah, we no, can take we care of some of these positions as well. No, we don't even know how that's going to work yet. That'll definitely be the deciding factor in how things go. But I don't want to get out of the top 10 because I'm not leaving the first round without one of Sauce Gardner, a top defensive end a top receiver, one of those three. They they got to get at least one of those three with their picks. They should get two, quite honestly, mm-hmm. is that those two picks should be used on one of each of those handful of positions. But if they move back into the middle of the first round, I don't know if they get any of that. Well, I mean, it depends. I, like, I was thinking if we trade back, we start looking at corner some of the other quarterbacks like Booth or McDuffie. Uh, who I believe the Jets would also really like. They're not Gardner. Uh, and maybe back there, maybe Stingley drops. And maybe your people are a little bit more friendly to the idea of taking Stingley back there. Uh, I, I don't know, but I feel like there's there's definitely options there for cornerback, at least. And then even more options for interior defensive line, if that's uh, how Sala and JD want to go. And your edge options are screwed. Edge options are screwed if you don't take one at yeah. four. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of the thing is if you stay at four and ten, you can still get an edge at ten, and you can have sauce at four if you want them. But if you don't feel comfortable that the guy you want at edge is going to be there at ten, then you got to take him at four because you're not going to get it back in a trade down. And I'd be a lot more comfortable with Andrew Booth in the middle of the first round than I would be over drafting Kingsley Atikbari or Arnold Demichetti, who I think are good players. Don't get me wrong, but Mm -hmm. I'm not taking them at 15 or 16. That's that would be significantly too high. That's that's too high. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can we can go down this rabbit hole all night thinking of scenarios, but we won't know much of anything, like you said, until free agency. No, luckily, next week is the start of the new league year. So after next week, we should have a little bit more of a handle on how things are going to go. We will have the big name free agents will probably be, uh, I believe, the legal tampering period starts Monday night. And that's when we'll start getting reports of deals uh, before they have become official Wednesday at four uh, is the official time, I believe. Uh, So we're real close to that time. Free agency is obviously going to be a huge, huge nail in the coffin for a lot of these draft takes where depending on what they do at corner, uh, JC Jackson did not get the tag. Um, we'll see if he gets any interest from the Jets or ends up potentially signing. Um, we'll see what they do at safety. We'll see if they tend to focus on the offensive line. Uh, we'll know where their focus is going to be uh, after free agency for the most part. And luckily they have the ammo in the draft to attack whatever way they need to. And I think it's kind of going to be really interesting because right now we've kind of all been doing our mock drafts, assuming we have to solve every position. And that's just not the case. 
And that's part of the reason why I like to trade back, just to get some extra picks and get a sense of comfort in knowing that I filled everything to what I project as needs. I get that completely because their team has a lot of needs. And I think that that is something to be very cognizant of is, is that I don't think you can fill every single need this year. I, no. I not with a, a quality starting asset. It's just not how it works, but I think you can do a hell of a lot of damage at free agency. And especially in the top 60, 70 of the draft, having five of the, the top 70 picks with potentially more in a trade back, if that were to be how the case goes, you can do a lot of damage there. You can also make some impact trades. And so I think that's another option that we've seen the Jets talk about is the potential of trades for them to bring in outside veterans to come in and start. Who knows what they're going to do with that market? Um, There is a ton of ammo for this team. There is a ton of options for this team. And while we need to be realistic and say that they aren't going to be able to solve everything, we should expect them to do a lot. This is not Mm -hmm. going to be the year for the Jets to sit on their hands whatsoever. No. No, 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 not at all. Uh, The possibilities are endless and they're all going to start soon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Make sure you guys stay tuned right here for that. Next week, we'll be back hopefully to review some major news out of free agency. Might be a little later in the week for that as we let the free agent signings kind of roll in and become official before we get any recording down. But make sure you guys come back here as we make sure to handle all that and wrap it all up. Matt, go ahead and tell the people where they can find you. Let's go ahead and get out of here. I'm Matt. You can find me at Zazzy Jets. And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Make sure you guys go follow Gina Kelly at Gina.Thomas on Twitter and follow our former co-host Feature Piva M until he inevitably returns over the summer when I force him to come back on no matter what it takes. Thank you guys again so much for listening. We'll be back real soon, hopefully to review free agency and a good free agent crop at that for the Jets. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. 